Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming to continue our journey in exploring the Beethoven piano sonatas. You just heard the beginning of the F major sonata, Opus 54. This is probably the least known of the 32, or the least liked. Even people who admit that they love Beethoven, they have problems with this sonata, and a lot of pianists really thoroughly dislike it. I, I would like to speak up for this sonata <laughs> and champion it. I truly love it because I really believe that in this sequence of 32 sonatas there is not one weak link. And this is certainly not a weak link. Um, we must think that this is, this is really part of a sequence. What happened before it, in the last program, you just heard this sonata here. Opus 53, the famous so-called Waldstein sonata. After this F major sonata comes probably the best known of all Beethoven sonatas. the F minor, opus 57, the so-called Appassionata. And this sonata is an experimental work that stands between these two magnificent masterpieces, but it is not to be taken lightly. Nothing that Beethoven wrote, and especially not at this period of his life, should be taken lightly. Uh, this is a very important period. He had written works like the Third Symphony, the Eroica Symphony, uh, these two piano sonatas, then soon after this, the Opus 59, the three Razumovsky quartets, so the, f the fourth piano concerto, Opus 58. It's really nothing but masterpieces, and it's a very important period in his life. Now let's see why listeners and interpreters have problems with this sonata. I would like to explore that a little bit. Um, it's not easy to listen to and it's not, not easy to play. The way it starts, there is nothing wrong with it. It's it's in two movements, deliberately so, in two movements. Now, this is very important to observe that Beethoven, as pupil of Haydn, follows the master's footsteps. Haydn has many piano sonatas in two movements. Mozart has none. And I always feel that even if Beethoven said that you could learn nothing from Haydn, that was a very rebellious remark by a young man, and later he would have not said a thing like that. Uh, and there are many things in common with Haydn, almost nothing in common with Mozart. Mozart is a different genius sent from heaven, and Beethoven 
knew that, that he admired Mozart and loved him, but he, he knew that this is not, not a way to follow. Haydn's is the way to follow. So, again, the beginning of this sonata. Tempo d'un minuetto, in a tempo of a minuet, but it is not actually a minuet, it just uh, suggests the speed of the movement. Um, earlier in the Waldstein Sonata, there used to be an original second movement, the so-called Andante Favori, beautiful piece that Beethoven discarded on suggestion of friends and listeners who thought that it did not fit into that sonata. That was a very wise decision, but we are very lucky that we still have the Andante Favori. So, a year after that, maybe he was thinking that, what a pity that I didn't use the Andante Favori. And he starts the next sonata in a, in a similar mood, in the same key, F major, in a minuet-like movement, starting with an upbeat, so it's in three, four time. One, two, three... And it's four bar phrases, four bar paragraphs, each ending in the tonic, in F major. That's already quite unusual because it's, it simplifies the matter. So he repeats the first four bars, then comes from bar nine, always ends on the F major, and another four bars. and always ends in, fa in F major with a feminine cadence. Then he repeats the last eight bars, but in variation. Beethoven, let's remember, is the greatest master of variations. Everything seems to be in order, nothing unusual, but then something really strange happens. I just play the last four bars. This is 
nothing beautiful about it. I'm not playing this beautifully because it's not supposed to be beautiful. This goes against our concept of aesthetics and against classical beauty. Um, this has been called, and I, th I think this is just uh, as, a, as a name or as a nickname, Beauty and the Beast. And this is really the beast with the double octaves and uh, in imitation, in, in, in a dialogue, and spiced with frequent accents, Sforzandi. Uh, Later, the octaves become other intervals and sixths and thirds and seconds. And, and these Forzandi occur very frequently. And a performer must take them that seriously. It, there is nothing worse in Beethoven than ironing out these edges. It should not be beautiful. This is beautiful. And this is really full of energy. It's, it's, of course, it's not ugly. Ugly is something else. Yum. The other thing that's interesting here is that in, in the beauty part we had very regular three, three beats. One, two, three. One, two, three. And here he hides it away and, and he, he writes against the bar line. Uh, we call those hemiolas, uh, which is not a disease, but <laughs> it's something when you have a you have a three four meter and the composer writes two four and four four phrases so we forget that there are bar lines and this is a great mastery of of writing asymmetrically unexpectedly it's, it goes against uh, even today our listening habits but imagine how revolutionary this must have been for the listeners of Beethoven's time. Uh, then it goes from... <laughs> this third relationship in, into A-flat major. Um, then this whole first movement has the form of A, B, A, B, A. Uh, A is beauty, B is the beast. And beauty is going through three forms of variation and also the beast has two variations. The second, second beast part is a little shorter than the first. Let's just play one of the variations of the beauty.
then again, this energetic uh, contrasted part. Uh, when beauty returns for the third time, it becomes clear where Beethoven's heart lies. So beauty wins. And that's how it should be. Uh, then... Uh, this is very beautiful, these little nuances. It goes into the minor. Now variation. Piano concerto a cadenza. And uh, this is the most beautiful moment. It's really a, like an apotheosis. Uh, reminds me very much of the second movement of the fifth symphony. So. A variation. this diminished ninth chord. This is, this is so dissonant, it reminds us of the beast, just in retrospect. And then it ends with a feminine cadence again. And the second movement follows attacca immediately, without a break. It's written with the instruction of allegretto. So really, not to be played too fast. But most people ignore this and they play it at a reckless speed. 
probably because our, of our beloved Czerny. I, every time I have to come back to Czerny, I cannot hide my lack of sympathy <laughs> to Czerny. Because it's always, even in later times, a lot of people make, make a big career out of having been somebody's pupil. <laughs> the pupil of Beethoven, the pupil of Bartók, the pupil of Janáček, and, and they use this because there is nobody alive to contradict them. <laughs> when Czerny published his remarks on, on Beethoven's piano music, he writes about the second movement of this sonata that, well, this is a magnificent opportunity for for pianists to, to present an etude, a brilliant piano etude, a study. And really, very often you hear this, uh, this piece as a senseless perpetuum mobile, and you get no sense of, of the musical details, of the beauty, indeed the poetry of this Piece. Because it is indeed a perpetuum mobile, it, it is in perpetual semiquaver motion. Cool. were the first 20 bars, and the 20 bars are to be repeated. Uh, the proportions of this movement are extraordinary. It has a very short first part, what you just heard, 20 bars, and then a development and a recapitulation that is seven times as long, over 140 bars. So this is really against the expectations of classical form, where all the parts should be equally proportioned, more or less. So, 20 bars twice, plus 140-something bars, also to be repeated. And after that, 27 bars of a coda, where he really writes Pio Allegro, so that's where the acceleration must take place, and you must not play the whole movement faster than how I played it. It could be even a little slower. And then the coda should really explore, explode. We will see the same recipe, if I may use this not very nice word, in the last movement of the Appassionata. Now, if you look behind the semiquavers, then you will discover hidden voices and harmonies. So I try to play it like a chorale now. It's already 
very beautiful, I think. So you have a, an F major triad, and then you have broken six. And then in the third bar, you have that Donald Francis Tovey, one of the great musical minds of all times. He calls this the jerk. It's not a nice word today, but in his time, <laughs> it didn't have second meaning. So, the jerk is a motive of two notes, and the second has a sforzando. When this is imitated by the right hand, it becomes a three-note motive. It's like a little signal. Now listen to this, what happens. Then this is a very beautiful way of writing for the piano. Nobody did this before Beethoven. But a few years back, four years back in the Sonata Opus 26, after the funeral march, the last movement goes like this. used this technique four years before. So, already here we reached the dominant, C major. This is wonderful. So in an F major movement, we reach the dominant and the development starts. This is a constant modulations and excursions. It's very difficult to follow, even for insiders and even for people with a perfect pitch, because it's so unusual and so unexpected. You never know where he's going to take you. So here comes now a new motive that is rhythmical. Yup-pum. syncopes, like horns or trumpet signals. Um, many of these motives that I'm showing you are purely instrumental. It's, it's not vocal music. It's very difficult to sing. 
You cannot sing. It would be, and maybe, and this is purely instrumental. You. major and now comes a motif where Beethoven writes espressivo and he writes in this perpetuum mobile movement very often instructions like dolce very frequently dolce and espressivo now this uh, So this is not a Czerny etude. I just cannot see any connection to Czerny here. Last we are on the home dominant, but but really we went through so many transformations. We are so far from from home very often. So now. This is very humorous, I find, because he's he's is like a like a greek god playing with rocks no oh. This is the recapitulation, but it's differently orchestrated because you have the timpani roll. And it's very often Beethoven in the recapitulation comes to the, the subdominant. minor it descends one step now one more This forzandi on the unexpected, unaccented part of the bar, 
And also the dynamics are extreme, always this just exposition of fortissimo and pianissimo. So now... He repeats this. This is the 140 something bars that I mentioned. Uh, it's a huge concept. And then comes this coda, più allegro, much faster. So I just play the end of the previous section. This is the way it ends. No wonder people are, are somehow lost. They, you don't know it's over because it's, it's very short. But Beethoven thought very highly of this sonata and it's, it's not an accidental piece. It's, it's also not, maybe not something meant for public performance or certainly not to make an impression with, with it. Making an impression interests Beethoven less and less as he is getting a greater and greater composer. <laughs> 